if you take yourself away and you take away the emotional element of it, you start to see it quite differently. If you're really curious about learning, you, you could almost do any job because every job is learnable. Like there's nothing that can't be learned. So if you're open to that, absolutely you could do any job. Like a lot of people fear death and all of that. Like it's a big philosophical thinking around it. When I was there, when I arrived there and I could see it, it's quite a different experience. Hi, I'm Gillian. And I'm Pierre, and you're listening to Breaking Through Careers, the podcast that gets your career questions answered. In this special edition, we find out about some ordinary jobs from some extraordinary people and figure out how they managed to become successful against all odds. What do you most What's like the most difficult personal challenge what that you've had to What advice would you give someone? What do you do to keep yourself going through the most challenging times? How do you balance times? your family Tell us and something your that career. you're really Tell good at. us something you're really bad at. How much do you at? get paid? Finally, in part three, we actually get stuck back into the job itself. We hear some words of wisdom on failure and perseverance from John. And we also get to witness a debate between Pierre and John, which I obviously thought was just great. <laughs> well, we talk about you most of the time, but let's, let's bring it back to our career. As a, as a principal project advisor, uh, what are your working hours like? What are your, uh, your environment like? And what do you find most challenging? Working hours are all over the shop. So I, I don't know. A lot of people say work-life balance. Once you get into senior management, you throw that out of the window. Or if you are aspirational, you throw that out of the window. That's unfortunately a hard call truth. No CEO, no executive is going to tell you, I work eight hours and that was it. I'm sorry. You're doing an average 14 hours. Consultants like to brag that they do 14 hours. I was like, everybody who is aspirational do 14 hours. Not not because they want to, but it's of a necessity. It's the only way you get work done. Um so in terms of working hours, usually I would start very early, finish late. Um, in terms of the difficult thing is people, because you're dealing with um, senior people, you're dealing with a number of egotistic people quite often, because the reality is half of those people who made it up, they made it partly because of egos. Like it, it's a good trait. It's not a bad thing. Like people look at egos and say it's terrible. Unfortunately, it's those who make it just have genuine egos. Some are really good at it. Some are not really good at it in terms of how it come across. And managing those, it, it can be quite complex and it's challenging and it's tiring. It does get tiring at times. Um, having to strategically negotiate for what you want constantly, even though the things are obvious. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard the saying, the emperor knew clothes. So it's a Exactly. So so quite often I'm having to play the emperor, emperor new clothes, even for the most obvious things. I'm like, can you see what I see? Um, but but I think as I sometimes reflect back as well, it's that it's also putting yourself in that person's shoes because you don't inherit the same risk. Because what often happens in internal organization politics is it's easy for everybody to advocate for things what is right. But for the person above, they have to deal with a lot of complex Challenges, they have to inherit any risk. Anything that happened at the very, you know, within the organization, you might not be necessarily responsible for it. Somebody else above you is responsible for it. And if you don't empathize about them having to inherit that risk, you fail in the first stage of negotiation because you haven't really walked their shoes. So what I often then have to try to do to overcome that is actually working their shoes. So if my manager was, you know, because I reported to executive director, my executive director said no. Or somebody much more senior said no. What I often do is then do the reverse. What is their primary concern? Why would they say no? If I was in their shoes, why would I say no? And and sometimes it could be very simple. And if you walk people through 
the risk mindset that have taken on and you address it and you find ways to strategically new communicate uh, a way to address that risk, people do come to the table and say, oh, maybe that person just wore my size 10 shoes. And sometimes you could be like, that's so petty. Like, really? you? I had to do that for you to be comfortable. But unfortunately, not all of us are very the same. Like, you know, so you're just managing a whole world of egos and people who are very much, much more risk adverse. Well put together, I suppose. Well, we'll go to our next round, which is uh, this is what we call Mist Busting uh, Round, which we ask questions that are sometimes controversial to your industry and also sometimes are just blurly ignorant from my behalf because, on my behalf, anyway, sorry, Jillian. Fear, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember Myth Busters on SBS? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Partially, this is where you come from. What was from, that? Oh, oh, it's a TV show. Yeah, it's like literally, <laughs> it's literally a TV show, literally where there's like a myth or a fact, and they just try to make bust it. Like, is it, is it true or false? Yeah. Obviously, it's, yeah. Like, so that's where it's come from. I start off with the first one. Anybody can become a project advisor. Myth or fact? Fact. I I, I say fact because there's a lot of common sense to it, but. Is anybody a fast stretch? Yeah, there, there's, you know, because if you're a cook, you can't just go and become a, a project advisor, and, you know, because there's there's a, there's certain traits to it. But it's doable for anybody. Like if you go and retrain yourself and actually understand what is required in there and you really read the scope of the job and what is required within the job, I believe it's not rocket science. So anybody can become, a, a you know, a principal project advisor However, there are certain things that you sort of have to meet at the end of the day, like if we've been realistic to it, but it's not a fast rate for anybody. And being a project advisor is nonstop paperwork and Excel spreadsheets, myth or fact? Ooh, combination of facts. Yeah, I think that there's an element definitely of fact. Not the Excel base, because I outsource it to junior people. That's why I got staff from it. <laughs> 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 so I'm, I'm fortunate that like I, i'm sorry i was like no the excel i just I, i'm done with it but yeah it's constant paperwork like um having to write briefs it's like a daily part of be- re- reviewing materials editing materials like it's actually half the time i'm saying i'm just like a, literally an ea who's just like it's almost become an administrative in a way because you're just reviewing documents, contracts, you know, you, you get um, a brief. This is going up to the minister. You're having, you know, like I, I I remember I had to run into a little situation with somebody who was all of a sudden trying to question my grammar. And then we got into a whole grammar war. And I'm telling <laughs> them, I was like, <laughs> like it can get that petty at times because then you have people who have different way of comprehending, um, you know, in terms of uh, written materials, the structure of written materials, then you sit in there and, you know, and you're like, this is how I structure. And I, I, I think for those who are very technical, they get very linear with the process. But for me, because uh, I, I think I'm much more strategic and wider scope, sometimes the very technical people run into a whole problem with me because I'm like, do you get the message? Did you get the message? Does it come across very clear? I'm much more yeah. fundamental like that. It's not whether did you miss the comma? Did you put, the, uh, you know, the apostrophe over there or, you know, like, or semicolon <laughs> over there? Like, it's just, <laughs> you have those. Being a principal project advisor are all about numbers and data and not about the project. Myth or fact? Uh, myth. 
Um, it's more about the strategic side of it. You literally have to have a wider scope of things. You have to take a lot of things into consideration. And then you have to provide an objective advice into what the decision should be. And, you know, and, and those decisions have a lot of consequences, financial consequences, political consequences, human consequences. Uh, so, so a whole wide, whole wide array of consideration has to be taken into account. Yeah. When you're making a decision that might seem very straightforward because you have to walk everybody else's shoes, whoever are those key stakeholders and understand their pain point because what the executive might think that might look good on their performance when they get a performance review might not look good politically. Yeah. You know, and, and those are the challenges you have to navigate as an advisor. And then you have to sort of strike a balance and say, well, we shouldn't do that because it's going to have these consequences. What is the most appropriate decision we should make that mitigate those consequences. Project now are like projects then, like technically are old project design. Not really. Uh, infrastructure projects are quite different. A lot of delays, heaps of delays. You know, it, it was interesting to learn and work with a whole wide array of stakeholders who had different pace of working and different system and process. And, 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 it's, and it's, it's literally trying to make one plus one equal eight, and tomorrow could be ten, and today could be one. Like it, it, it's, it, it's literally that's how complex they make it. Moving on to our final section, and this one's called "Looking Forward," and we're just going to try and give some of our listeners out there some advice as to how to get to where you are today. So the first one is: What sort of work experience should our listeners try to get before becoming a project advisor or working in public sector in housing? Everything and anything. Cleaning, dishwashing. I've done them all, so I'm like everything and anything. Um, <laughs> honestly, this isn't necessarily a specific requirement. It's just being open to learning. I, I think fundamentally just being open to learning. So if you're really curious about learning, you you could do, almost do any job because every job is learnable. Like there's nothing that can't be learned. Yeah. So if you're open to that, absolutely, you could do any job. What other three things would you like our listeners to take away from this episode? One be comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and that means try new things even when they don't feel comfortable that probably might be your biggest growth opportunity than what you have been doing because what you're doing is repetitive you're really not growing be curious willing to learn and also be vulnerable with things you don't know as well people sometimes feel like i have to look like i know it all you don't in every space I am, I don't know Jack. I'm like, that's how I learn. It's the only way you invite people in because if people know you're vulnerable, they're most likely to help you. Yeah. Then when they don't. The know-it-all don't know. The, the don't know that, no. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Somebody told me that. I'm like, what? <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat that, Pierre? What was it? Know-it-all? The, the know-it-all don't know. The don't know, know it. So oh, the yeah, tongue twister is yeah. a tongue yeah. twister. Yeah. Don't try it. The one that say, I know, I know, you don't know because you know it. But the one that say, I don't yeah. know, you know, you don't know. So now you know it. Yeah. So I'm like, wow. Good one. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Just uh, a conversation. That's what, our, that's what a dialogue look like. <laughs> and, and I think the third one is spend a bit more time Learning about yourself, I think reflect like self-reflection is a really critical thing. And and particularly in almost every moment, take an opportunity to reflect. 
in the good and in the bad, because what often happens is that we're easily disrupted by one thing or another and really end up focusing on the reaction of that event, whether it's good or bad, but haven't thoroughly analyzed it because we haven't taken ourselves away from that event. And, and what I mean is, given it be adversity, you may focus on all oh, outcome. This is what it has led to. But if you take yourself away and you take away the emotional element of it, you start to see it quite differently. Said, so, okay, oh, this is an incident. This is what has happened. This is where it can go if I take this pathway. This is where it might go if I take the other pathway. And then you start to create your own pathway that the adversity isn't necessarily creating for you. Or even in a happy moment as well, like the other part as well, it's, you know, without talking, like sometimes we make most mistakes even when we're really happy, you know, because every happy situation we go into it 100% saying, oh, this is the best thing ever. But what if it doesn't go accordingly, then you sort of really being deprived of something you are looking forward to. So it's also just really reflecting upon those and thinking of other ways around it as well. So I would really say reflection on all aspects, like when you can, as much as people say, oh, yoga, I'm saying, no, reflection. When you can reflect, think deep, do whatever you have to do. So like for me, for example, I'll usually listen to a lot of podcasts, philosophical podcasts that I can relate to. And sometimes I would challenge myself, like my world, my worldview from ideology, political ideology, perspective on life. And you really challenge yourself and you want to go on the other side. What if somebody has a different take compared to me? What does that look like? You know, like I, I know recently, like I was, I've been engaging in a lot of um, podcasts, which are very conservatives because I feel like I, you know, sometimes a lot of stuff, we either label them as far left or far right. And I'm like, but that is not, the world is much more complex than that. Like it's not a straight yeah. black and white yeah. and and just the lack of labeling because we don't learn those frustration and those perspectives. So I'm like nowadays enthusiastically trying to learn what's the other side look like. And if I'm comfortable on one side, you know, so for example, Black Lives Matters, I want to understand why do people say all life matters? Like, wh- what is the fundamental challenge that they face on the other side? And I think once you try to walk their shoes, a lot of people are not comfortable with that. But I'm like, no, it's a learning exercise. Because you might take away a learning that may enable you to educate them much better. Because what you have, what we've been doing hasn't necessarily gotten to the masses all the time. I really do completely agree with you there. I think it's really worth us as a generation sitting down with those with opposing views, having a dialogue and then walking away. It's okay. I think it's okay. We don't need to make something more of it. And you may go away with the same view, but you may go away with an increased understanding of their view, or maybe you even change your own view. So I think it's something we really should all try to learn to do, engage with those with different views and opinions. And when we say we like we don't want to do it tokenistically because the issue is this, we put a lot of burden on others to actually do the lifting for us without us yeah. doing the lifting ourselves. Like it, it's it's quite shameful, but a lot of us don't admit this. It's that when we talk about racist views, as like we hold our own very biases. Like we every human I have a very strong biases towards certain things. And I was like, once you recognize that you have your own, you understand how hard it is for you to lift your own, then why do you expect somebody else it to be easy for somebody else? You know, so it's yeah. the same expectation you put on others, you should put on yourself. Put it yourself first Absolutely. You put it on others, yeah. Yeah. I was going to add, and then the final um, one, be, before you actually run out, with, this is a fourth, let's, let's just say. Um, <laughs> we love it. Keep them coming, keep them coming. I, I think um, perseverance is it's a thing that I would really give 
as an advice, and that is, like, if I was to define myself, I'd say I'm a consistent failure, which has gotten me results over a period of time because I've applied that learning. Every time I fail, I was just persistent with it. So I'm like, the same advice I'll give. Like, when something don't work the first time, be persistent and do it again. Like, once you become a persistent failure, you see start to see success. And, and a classic example of this, it's, you know, Thomas Edison. When people say, oh, you failed 2,000, you know, times to make a light bulb. It's like, no, I tried 2,000 ways of making a light bulb. So it's it's like persistent failure works. Like, it's, it's I can never. So I call myself a persistent failure. Like, I'm not really good at it, but I persisted in trying those things over and over again. And over a period of time, there were certain things that cracked and got a bit better. Yeah, I, that's that, that's completely fair. Now, I do agree with that to some extent, but for me, I, I always think like, mm-hmm. you know, I understand failing on your personal perspective is also important, but also learning from other people' failure because that can cut down the amount of time you can try to learn. And I just think that come with the learning aspect of like reading or understand like what other person do. do. And I, as, as I quite rightly said it in this podcast before to Jillian, I said. My favorite thing is go to Sona and talk to old people because they can tell me what they have done wrong in life. Like, you know what I mean? Like people listening to you right now, they'll be like, hey, maybe I should try to identify myself early who I should not hang around with and who I should, and instead of actually identify that myself. Do you know what I mean? So I think for me, like I, I partially do agree. Yes, it's, it's important to learn through your, your own circumstances and slash experience. But I also think like it's also to reach out and see other people, how they fail. And then you can, cut down time quicker because the only time is essence i suppose so yeah well i would actually politely disagree slightly because <laughs> the experience uh, uh, like because look and and and, and this is a, my experiences although i've seen like there's a lot of tons of takeaways that i have taken from other people's failures i think the biggest catalyst for my life were my own failures my own shortcomings like when i hit the ground face as up like i literally got up much better than seeing somebody else do it and it's just like oh i don't want to do what they did but when i when you inherently experience it yourself and i'm sorry for using profanity i think in your podcast i don't like (laughs) (laughs) um but 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 i feel like when you actually go through it, it it's something that you could never read you could never google you can, unless you have experience. It's, it's just like, if I was telling you the traumatic, the experience of traumatic head injury here, you could read about it. I can write about it, right? And tell you this is how I felt. This is how I saw Jesus, you know, Jesus. Came. Like, I can tell you all of those things, right? Like, <laughs> but, the, but the fact of the matter is, yeah. until you've been there, like, it's all, you know, and, and, and the reason I share this is like, you, you know, when people talk about, I can die anytime, like, you know, like a lot of people fear death and all of that. Like, it's a big philosophical thinking around it. When I was there, when I arrived there and I could see it, it's quite a different experience. And there's and and there's people who, uh, my personal take is, they come and market it in a different way for them because that's what come and define them. And as you know, like, since my injury, I have never let it define me. Like, the amount of yeah. opportunities I've had when people said, Oh, you came through, you know, you need to share that life experience. I was like, how's that going to help you? Until you've been there, Alex, if you want me to share life experience with you, please go and get a gun. Let, let me just pop one for you. You survive, <laughs> we can talk about it, you know? Like, it's, it, it's because I feel like I'll be taking away the learning from 
the individual, like I can talk about broadly about adversity because everybody go through it every day. And I don't feel the need to emphasize that a traumatic head injury is much different to a depression because in the day they're both adversities, they have just different layers or complexities. Yeah. One is physical, that one is psychological. The outcome might actually be the same. That actually yeah. might be quite humanly limiting yeah. in the very same nature. But 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 that's but that's what I was saying before. Like I think, like as I said, I partially agree with you. Say like you're talking about personal experience, like personal injuries. Like you can't get that. You're talking about depression. You can't talk that. You can't compare that to anybody. Else. That's not a journey to learn through. There's nothing to learn there. At the end of the day, the only thing you can learn is the strength to go to, to go through something. I'm talking about somebody walk through a fire and that person come out burn. And physically, what you you envision them to be is not where you want to be. I'm talking about the the evident. That you can see, do you know what I mean? I'm talking about not a gun. Like you, you and I have the same path journey. Like you know, talking about you being born when you're kid. Also, I I went through the same journey. I then the the way you feel about it is not the way I feel about it. We all have our own way of interpreting our own experience. Do you get what I'm saying? So I can't expect people to learn through that. There's nothing to learn through that. It's only me that I can mm. learn through that. At the end of the day, I'm talking about the the aspect of physical thing. If you're doing a poison, that's a poison. You know what I mean? Instead of drinking it, it's like, oh, that was a poison. I just saw that. Somebody's drinking it, but that was a poison. Do you know what, do you, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Pierre? So there's didn't, a ta- didn't, yeah. didn't, I was saying, didn't you see the meme? The guy who mixed it and tasted if there was enough poison? Then <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean? So, so, so the, they're, the, yeah. they're the kind I'm talking about, but a personal injury a person's circumstances all these kind of stuff like that you can't learn through that except the individual stuff. you can talk about it i will say right so let's say when somebody say oh i know i know what you're going through bro you don't know what i'm going through you can't you can never say that to anybody there's about eight billion people in the world there's about eight billion people in the world that were not a single one of them know what they're going through so you can't say that so that's for me that's my worst kind of question it's like you know, I'm so fearful. Like when I some my friend is suffering from depression or something happened to you, it's like, oh man, I understand where you come from. Like I can try to understand it, or like you know, like I can empathize on the issue itself. But I can't say I feel I feel you. No, I don't. So anyway, that's just my little tangent. <laughs> no, no. And, and interestingly, like so, I remember when I was at Westpac, we um, at the call center. One of the guys, he was our executive. He came up, and he was teaching a group of us had to deal with difficult customers. And then we were doing a play scenario and one of the people, you know, and he was being a, a, abrasive over the phone. It's like, oh, blah, blah, you know, my money decent, blah. And and the guy turned around and said, oh, I feel your pain. The executive got up, went and removed the phone, threw the phone down, cracked the phone open, and we all froze. And he's like, do you feel what I'm going through? Have you felt what I'm going through? And and that was a very teaching moment because what he said is like you will never feel what somebody go through. Yeah. So you can't tell somebody I feel what you're going through because you are not them and you will never be them. You can try to understand what they're going yeah. through, 100%. but you will never feel what they're going through. Yeah, Yo, your body mechanism, like your psychological, like your brain, your wires, the way they wires, they're not the same as the other person. So how can you say that you feel the same way? You can say I can understand. I can try to understand where you're coming from. Correct. That's a, that's a correct way of saying it. But people are just so easily forgotten, saying like, "Oh, I feel where you come going through." It's like, bro, you don't understand what I'm going through. But anyway, that's it. So, yeah. So, do you feel me? <laughs> no, no, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't feel you, dog. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't. But hey, fair enough. I feel you, dog. 
Respect. (laughs) (laughs) I can't thank you enough, John, for taking the time to come on our podcast. Really, really appreciate it. No, no, it's 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 my pleasure. Um, and and likewise, yeah, no, it's it's really been, I think, a great pleasure conversing with you guys. I highly encourage you guys to continue talking to and. The rest, most of the people who are much more important than me, but I think it's a worthy conversation. It's definitely a wonderful thing that you both are doing, and and I and I look forward to you guys making. It. Just don't don't forget that we know each other. We have spoken. <laughs> so when I'm saying, I'm saying, my sister, you remember me? Who are you? I beg. Listen, brother, you're the one going to Ivy League. So don't forget us. Make sure you get those funding there. Man, find us on social media. I think I don't even fit in there. Like sometimes, like maybe I was the tokenistic child. They're like, you come here. See that kid? He has to work eight days to school. Let's let him in. What I knew how to do. Don't say that. You deserve it. See you next time. Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate you coming to our podcast and sharing your wonderful story. And yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you.